Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 139 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I'm pretty excited for two reasons. <laughs> Number one, the internet brought us today's guest. I was uh, watching a video with a guy that I've been following for a few years. His name is Ramit Sethi. And he's written a bunch of stuff, but I think he's honestly, I subscribe to his emails just to see how he writes. He is that good. And he's a great interviewer too, knows all kinds of people in um, the online world. And I'm watching one of Ramit's videos and he's interviewing this guy named Andrew Mellon, all about organization. And Andrew says something that just like blows my mind. And so literally sitting there at lunch watching this video, I reach out to him on Twitter. He answers back. And the next thing you know, I have a podcast guest and it's all about leadership and clutter and how organization impacts a leadership. So as a guy who's a little bit OCD, I, I am just fascinated by this. So I think you are going to love this episode or maybe <laughs> you know, you'll have a different reaction to it. But Andrew's actually very sensical about uh, how he handles this. And, and I mean, organization and tidying up is, is a big subject these days. And uh, yeah, this is just something totally different that I absolutely loved. I hope it helps you. And I got some exciting news to share with you guys. Did you know that we are reopening the High Impact Leader course for new registrations for a very limited time this month in May? So you may remember it's a new um, course that I introduced Last year, at the end of the year, is a New Year's thing, and we said, hey, it's going to come back at some point, but we don't know when. Well, that point is now, and it reopens next week, Monday, May 15th, until Thursday, May 25th. The High Impact Leader will be available for new registration. So we got a, a lot of fun stuff planned for you over that 10-day window, and if you don't want to miss it, just go to thehighimpactleader.com right now and secure your place on the waiting list. Last time, well, actually when it released, over 1,700 leaders have jumped in so far on the High Impact Leader course and people are calling it thing, things like life-changing and game-changing and uh, man, I'll, I'll share a little bit more in the upcoming week or two, but um, I would love for you to get time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. If you're interested in that, just go to thehighimpactleader.com and sign up for the waiting list. And when you do that, you will get a free email productivity course from me, kind of a precursor to the High Impact Leader. And then when things open, you'll be the first to know. So I'm really excited. We'll have more details next week. Also, some bonus episodes over the next two weeks on the podcast. So if you haven't subscribed, do that. And I really want to thank Trained Up. Trained Up has been a great partner of this podcast over the last few months. And they'll be a great partner to you too um, because they have completely redone their website. So one of the big challenges for any church, whether you're a small church, a large church, a mega church, is training your volunteers. How do you make sure that happens? Well, they've got a brand new website at trainedup.church. That's trainedup.church. And here's what you get. You get unlimited access to their library of professional videos that will actually, so you don't have to do the training. They've done it for you in children's ministry, youth ministry, a greeter ministry, small group, special needs, and even safety and emergency training. Like who, who wants to do that stuff? It's all done for you on their new site. Also, 
They will give you unlimited video recording and uploading. So if you want to do your own training, you can do it. And then they host it for you and they will help it connect with your volunteers so that you can get to the point where you know that 100% of your volunteers have taken the training and they've finished the course, which is peace of mind for a leader. And then finally, get this. For those of you who are like, oh, I wish we had video gear. Guess what? You can use theirs. Yeah, they have a pay-as-you-go video production service. They'll even write the script for you. They'll film it. They'll edit it, the whole deal. All of that is at trainedup.church. So if you haven't headed over there, make sure you do that now. And now I'm, I'm so excited to bring you today's guest. His name's Andrew Mellon, and he is a professional organizer. Now, I don't think I want to be one, but I sure would love to have one. That would be great. He's a coach who's been featured in uh, the Oprah Magazine, HGTV on the DIY networks on TV, also on NPR. He has literally a national roster of clients, including said Ramit Sethi, and he leads workshops throughout the United States. He lives in New York City. And uh, I had a fascinating, wide-ranging conversation with Andrew Mellon, and here it is. Andrew, it is fantastic to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for, uh, for being a guest today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'll tell you, I discovered you, or I met you for the first time, uh, watching a video that Ramit Sethe did um, with you. He interviewed you. Um, uh, some of our listeners will be familiar with Ramit. I mean, I think he's one of the best writers and one of the best thinkers out there today, which is one of the reasons I follow his stuff. He's known for I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Um, but in the process of him interviewing you, you said something that really caught my attention. You said that, if I got it right, clutter is deferred decision-making. And as soon as you said that, you just had me. Now, I'm a neat freak. I like everything to be super neat. And sometimes I drive my team nuts with that. Um, so you already had me, but you really locked me in when you made the connection between leadership and, and, and clutter. So tell me, like, do you think leadership and organization, like personal organization, organization of your physical space and clutter, is, is there a relationship between the two? Oh, certainly there is. And <clears throat> just to clarify... I would even make it a noun that clutter, just so that we stay in a noun yeah. world, right? Clutter is deferred decisions. So the deferred wow. decisions, the clutter is the manifestation of the deferred decision. So everything that you set down in and of itself might just be an object, but it's the second object that you set down on top of it. That's when clutter begins because you have a story that says, oh, I'm going to put it away. I know right where it goes. I'm just not going to do it in this moment. I'm going to do it and I'm making air quotes now, later, or I'm going to do it someday. But you haven't defined later or someday. You've just defined the clutter, that this is a pile of things that you're not going to deal with in the moment. You're going to deal with them perhaps at some undefined future date, and that's the genesis of your, of your clutter and your disorganization. See, that's fascinating to me because, I mean, I'm, I'm a selective neat freak. We were talking a little bit before we started this interview. So, I mean, if you come into this office, it's immaculate, absolutely immaculate. I have a desk with no drawers. It's a standing desk. You know, all the wires are, are taped up, etc. But just don't get too close into my filing system. Do, do you know what I mean? I need, I need people for that. And then, and then there's like the garage with my kids stuff in it, which like literally when we moved into our house, I had the garage drywalled. I had it painted white. It was going to be my dream garage. And well, now I got to deal with that in the spring because another round of stuff came home, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, right. when, you, when you walk into my house, people say all the time, did, like, did you just clean it? Does it always look like this? It's kind of like, yeah, pretty much always looks like this. But I feel like I could do 
a lot better. And yet I know a lot of leaders that I respect and like, and you know, you walk in and there's clutter everywhere. And so you think that leadership and clutter are connected. Yeah. I think if you can't find your bullhorn and you can't find your flock, it's going to be hard to lead. <laughs> yeah. And, and the deferred decision-making, just like, man, there was so much clarity in that moment because it really does boil down to, yeah, I just set it down. I just, I just put my keys here because I didn't put them away or I left my boots in the hall. And soon, you know, a pair of boots in the hall becomes you're tripping every time you walk into your door or, you know, even garbage in the car and stuff like that. Um, so sometimes you see leaders who have like a messy desk or a messy office or you walk into a church building. It's not, it's not particularly ship shape. And again, I've always said to our team, man, you got to be able to eat off the floors. Do you know what I mean? I think, I think eh, maybe that's my Dutch heritage or whatever. But, but you, run, you run in Dutch clean, right? Uh, I got stories about that. But anyway, uh, they say, you know, some people, they have a car and they say, well, my car is my office. So I've got everything all around it and I know where everything is. Okay, does the way you live out your life, like connect the dots a little bit more, how does your physical space around you and the organization of it reflect your leadership? I think, again, if you can't easily put your hands on things if you have to spend time looking for things, fumbling with things, it undercuts your ability to be a clear and concise communicator and effective leader. People are looking to you to set an example to something not necessarily to aspire to, but that as as somebody who has either decided that they want to lead or has been invited to lead, you have taken up a mantle of responsibility and you are charting a course for other people to follow, to join you, right? It doesn't necessarily need to be a hierarchy where you are any more significant than anybody sure. who is on the path with you. And yet you have a vision, you have a calling, you have something that is driving you to put yourself out there and live a large, visible, clear life. And if you are dragging literally or figuratively a dust pile behind you, I think you're sending a mixed message. And if the idea is a simple, clean life allows you the most amount of freedom to be in alignment with your values, uh, participate uh, in in a civic and community way, whether that's at church, whether that's at the PTA, whether that's at the city council, uh, whether that's in the, in your neighbor's garden, whatever that is, everything that you physically put between you and clear access to that is an obstacle that doesn't need to be there. There are plenty of obstacles that we can't control that are about personalities and more than two people in a space at a given time. It's about, it's about uh, structure and things that have nothing to do with your misplaced keys, your absent wallet, or your uh, uh, disappearing mobile phone. All of those right. things are completely within your control. So there's enough to do without also being disorganized. If you want to be an effective leader, know where everything is. 
So I've seen, I've seen, you know, there are, there are pastors whose names I can name, um, and everybody would know who they are and they lead very significant churches. And one of the things that I've seen is like, I can't actually think of a pastor who leads a significantly large church who has a disorganized office. Like I, I just can't, I walk in and I mean, it is pristine sometimes almost to the, to the crazy level. And, you know, that's the kind of work environment I feel like I need to be able to work. And, uh, you know, some people would just say, and I just want to push back a little bit against people like me, and they would say, you know, what you need is some more counseling, or you're just, you know, you're OCD, or, or you're anal retentive, or that's just your personality, or, or whatever. Um, what would you say to people who think that, you know, that's just a personality quirk, and I, you know, it doesn't need to be addressed? I would say that for those people who are obsessively organizing, they are probably not on the beam either in that uh, organizing is a means to an end. Again, it mm. is, it's about clearing a path to free access and if you are obsessively trying to control your environment beyond a level of functionality where everything has a home, everything can be found easily, then you might want to look at maybe maybe you're feeling a little out of control in the world at large and you're trying to spend a little more time trying to clo- control your, your closer environment so that you feel some sense of security and stability. So that's for the people who are perhaps a little tightly wound. Obsessive. People who, yeah, for the people who are not tightly wound, I would say you might want to look at what you're spending your time doing and how you're spending your time doing it. Because again, if you're if you're neck deep in something and you're listing towards. I think at the most extreme sense, some sort of martyry, complexy thing where you're saying to yourself, well, you know, there's so much need. I don't have time to be organized. I just have to keep doing what I'm doing because there's more to do than I can possibly get to. And of course, there is more than you can possibly mm-hmm. get to. That's, But still, your ability to minister to people, to show up and be present and and model successful integrated behavior, I think is diminished if you are a rumpled, sloppy mess and your shoelaces are broken and you have food stains on your clothing. You, that isn't necessarily the person that I want to lead me. It's somebody that I wouldn't mind collaborating with because your Hmm. heart's in the right place. But I don't know if you can, if you are, if you're modeling the kind of behavior that that I want to aspire to, I want I want a simpler, more meaningful life. I am adrift in a world where there is uh, tremendous information and stimulus outside of my home uh, or my work or both, and I'm trying to navigate that and stay true to myself and what I believe to be a good and purposeful way to participate in my life and my and my family and my community so i'm i'm in that dialogue with the outside world 
when I come home, if my if my home is not a safe and orderly place where I can feel safe, I'm constantly under attack, both outside and inside. And you just can't rest if that's your world. So I think as a as a as a leader, um, all the more home needs to be sanctuary. Hmm. I really appreciate that. And you know what? I think I think that was a great answer to what you said, because I think you're right. If I have a criticism that I would levy at myself, my wife has said this from time to time. She's like, Carrie, you are obsessed. Like my neighbors joke with me. It's like, have you cut your lawn for the third time this week? Like that kind of thing. And, you know, I realized after thousands of dollars and dozens of hours of counseling <laughs> that, you know what? That's my issue. That's my bad. Like your lawn should be cut. It should be kept. But... It probably is exactly what you said, which is in my case, um, because so much of my world feels out of control, there are a few things I want to control. And to be able to cut the grass is better than trying to control people. Now, maybe I just need to pray more as a Christian, or maybe I need to go to one more counseling <laughs> session to cure myself of it. I think, And I don't mean to disparage any other leaders. I'm just no, reflecting course. here, but I'm just saying, I think you're right. So this is not a question of, you know, you have to be perfect and everything oh. has to be ideal. It's like, no, there is a common, what do you say? There's a beam where things are organized and you know where they are. And if that means, you know, your whole house has to be white and disinfected, well, that's up to you, but that's not what you're going at. You're just like, you should know where your keys are. You should not lose your phone. And I mean, your book, Unstuff Your Life, is really an encyclopedia. And it is, it is a how-to, like literally even a filing system in it, that if you use this filing system... You're going to always know exactly where the electricity bill from two years ago is that you need for your tax audit that came up this year, uh, which, right. which really stymies a lot of people. They don't know where it is. You know, you have this thing with a 10-year warranty, and you're on year nine, but like you have no idea where the receipt is, right? So, so exactly. much for the, for the nine-year warranty, right down to an office drawer and, and a physical environment even at your church. So that's good. I think you got us all in now. You got the the hyper anal people in and you've got uh, the people maybe who have uh, untucked everything uh, in leaning in, which is good. Um, Self-storage. So you say our world seems to be expanding. Self-storage has exploded over the last two decades. Um, has the accumulation of stuff become a crisis of hmm. sorts in our culture? I mean, it just, it feels that way. I said when our kids were younger, we don't have to buy anything. Stuff just arrives at our house. I don't know how this happens, but uh, life just seems to accumulate possessions along the way. Have you seen that trend in our culture? Oh, of course. I, it's an illness like um, so many other manifestations of an internal longing for something being mm. dealt with uh, in an external fashion. It's uh, This is... It, the soul sickness that people are experiencing and the disconnectedness that they feel even as they're walking around uh, face down into their in their mobile phones and their devices is uh, there's a bigger problem there and that's a lack of community and feeling connected mm. and uh, and no amount of consumption is going to cure that and yeah. and unfortunately at some point in our uh, developed world, we decided, or it was decided for us, and we we followed along uh, that uh, the amassing of wealth at any cost to our communities and our environments um, 
was more important than our communities, our environment. Mm. And we deferred, that was a huge decision that we deferred. And we allowed the corporations basically to set the tone of how we were going to manufacture things and consume them. And instead of having what we need to live a purposeful, meaningful, simple, comfortable life, which most people in Western culture have available to them. Most people, if you are above the poverty line, have access to food, clothing, and shelter. So they're not True. suffering. And if you're below the poverty line, at least in the United States for a period of time before uh, this administration dismantles more safety nets, hmm. even people below the poverty line, still there are still social service programs that are available to them to make sure that most, if not all, of their needs are met and even perhaps some of their wants. So we are not here in the United States, in Canada, where you are, uh, in most of the developed world, we are not suffering for lack of things. Yeah. So this focus on the accumulation of things is, uh, is misplaced at best. And really, I think a manifestation of a deep, deep soul illness. And as a result, People continue to accumulate things. Uh, they spend money and time managing things that do not support their values, that do not bring them any sort of sustainable, lasting happiness or joy. Mm. And uh, they waste their lives dealing with things, with inanimate objects that do not reciprocate their affection, that do not really in a meaningful deep way increase the quality of their life at all isn't that interesting i mean the language and and i think you said that so well that's i mean that's a spiritual thing that's a it that's is. a that's a soul thing that is that's a soul crisis and you know if anybody i'll just say that to preachers and to church leaders if anybody should be naming this it probably should be the church but sometimes we're as much a victim of it as we are anyone else. You know, you're blind to the culture. You're the fish that swims in the water. And you're like, water? I don't see any water. Well, oh, you mean this stuff? What is that? <laughs> right? Yeah. Is that the kind of culture we're in? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's everywhere. And so there's no, there's no blame. I mean, in pointing it out, I'm, I'm mindful of not, there's, a, I'm not holding anybody necessarily responsible for it. Yeah. But what I am doing or what I hope that I'm doing is calling enough attention to it so that people can bring uh, mindfulness and awareness to it and start to work on a collective solution that breaks us from this bondage to um, corporate culture and this misguided understanding of a manufacturing base that is not... Um, is not, again, a source of, I think, sustainable employment for anybody. Mm -hmm. It's uh, making more things means that more people have to buy them, which means that more people have to work unreasonable hours to afford them. It's a, it's a faulty construct. 
Right. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we go back to an uh, agricultural model, an agrarian model where we have to grow, each of us has to grow our own food and cut our own trees to build our own homes and sew our own clothing. But somewhere between that, which is never going to happen anyway, right? I mean, unless we choose to live off the grid and really remove ourselves mm-hmm. from, from uh, uh, current cultural norms, that's not going to happen. But somewhere between that and this constant search outside of ourselves for meaning and and happiness and stuff is uh, the middle way. And the middle way, I think, is where we can find some peace in a world that doesn't always support our values, but is hopefully not at such extreme odds with with kindness, compassion, generosity, hmm. and um, love. Yeah. So how did you get interested in this, Andrew? Like, how did you end up, I mean, you've written books, you've done a TEDx talk, you, you do a lot of media, you do private consulting with people to help them unstuff their life. And uh, I mean, this, is, this became a calling for you. How did you end up in this lane? So there's, I think there's, uh, there's two parts to that answer for me. Uh, one is, uh, one is the technical question of how this became a business or a a work, a a career for me. And the other is really more about a calling, if you will. And that is, let's start there. Yeah. So this, Before I started doing this work, I worked in the theater, and the work that I did in the theater was uh, social issue-based. It was about telling a story in the hopes that the audience would connect the dots, Mm -hmm. have some sort of epiphany and catharsis, and go home and change their behavior. Yeah. And uh, 20 years ago, when I started doing this work, I discovered that if I, for me, at that pivot point for for myself, if I removed the metaphor and made it direct communication, I wasn't telling you, I I tell stories in my work, but it's different. Uh, They're in, they're more parables than they are um, uh, an extended metaphor that is veiling the truth in the hmm. hopes that you're going to discover the truth. I just peeled back one layer and said, I'm just going to tell you exactly what I think. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you'll, you'll agree with me or you won't agree with me, but it, it won't, it won't be up to you to discern what I was saying because I will be, um, uh, overtly and explicitly saying what I mean about sure. the choices that we make collectively and, where I think we could make different choices for our greater well-being. So, you know, 21 years ago, I turned a corner and uh, said, I'm going to do this work and I'll take it as far as it'll go and see what happens uh, and um, try to make an impact person by person, group by group. And, uh, and in some ways, you know, I'm mindful of not wanting to be um, arrogant or dismissive of artists because I was one for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 sometimes art feels um, not quaint. 
again, I don't want to be condescending in any way, but because um, I think art has a tremendously useful and impactful place in our greater community. Uh, and yet, for me, it feels uh, one step removed from reaching people where they live in the most immediate way, which is mm. their home or their office. So um, I, I, art moves me in many powerful ways in my life, and yet I find that um, when I am working with a group of people or working with one individual and I see that light bulb go on and they start to take the reins and they can see how making simple choices clears physical and psychological, emotional, spiritual obstacles out of their path, something is happening. Hmm. And that, and that's you know it's 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 really interesting to see that because I think you're right you kind of give people control of their life back right when they when they're able to find things and organize things and I really appreciate that and I appreciate the the soulfulness and the thoughtfulness of the answer rather than well you know I, <laughs> I'm you know there, there should be a reason and I think a lot of us in 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 the church community can relate to that you know we're in this because we want to make a difference we want to make a real difference in people's lives so. Um, let me let me ask you. We'll get sort of hyper practical here for a moment. Sure. In your book, "Unstuff Your Life," it really is kind of like an encyclopedia. I think you could say of organization. It's highly, highly practical. But you start with very deep, um, probing questions like, "What's the difference between an excuse and an explanation?" Um, you you. I think I don't know how many values do you have in that list. Fifty. And then you say oh, circle more. 15 <laughs> words, maybe it's 100, circle 15 words that describe what you value most. I mean, you start at a very abstract theoretical level. Tell me, how is like having a closet with everything organized or a filing system that works or clutter off your desk related to those deep issues? Just help us connect the dots. Sure. Well, story is driving all of your unconscious choices. Anything that you do without awareness, without uh, focus and clarity, is being driven by a story. And the story is seldom a happy story in which you are the hero. Hmm. So uh, those core values are your ammunition in the struggle with story. So that when you start to tell yourself, oh, well, I'll just get around to this later, or I know exactly what I'm going to do with it, I just don't have the time now, or this is more important, or this is less important, but let me just get it out of the way, and then I'll get to the yeah. really important stuff. All of that narrative is going to run your life for you and make your choices for you if you don't have something to push up against it. And the thing that is deep inside of you are your values. Hmm. So it's the only thing really that you can leverage against a really powerful story that is telling you you don't have enough time to do the things that matter. And uh, so it's a, for me, I feel like without starting there, I'm just giving you some tools, but not explaining to you how to actually use them when it comes time to build something. And it feels to me likely that 
without knowing what is important to you, you will constantly be tripped up by urgency, mm-hmm. false urgency or real urgency, and you will be running around putting out real or perceived fires and never get to the stuff that actually matters. So knowing what's important to you is the antidote to that. Now, do you need to know that to create a home for your keys? Of course not. You can just assign a home to your keys and your wallet and your cell phone and your purse, and you'll be better off for it. But if you want to actually change your life, if you want to teach your children or the people that you share a home with or share a community with, a neighborhood with, um, if you want to loan your tools to your neighbor and get them back in the same condition that you gave them, (laughs) if you want to borrow somebody else's hammer and return it to them instead of having it sit on your workbench for three years because you can't find it, it's buried under stuff, then knowing the why, to borrow from Simon Sinek, is um, it's it's what's going to carry you through because otherwise we're just dealing on the surface. And believe me, a, a tidy surface is better than a cr- crappy mis filed yeah. surface. But it's you know it, for me it's the it's the booby prize. It's not it's not it's not the it's not the jackpot. It's the it's the consolation prize. Oh, in other words, and it's the peace of mind. It's the way of living where everything is kind of organized and you can truly, I wonder if, you know, a lot of people talk about always feeling a sense of disease or a sense of anxiety. And do you think that ever gets triggered by your physical environment being out of sort? Like that idea that you're never done and you can never rest? Yeah, I think that that is when your physical environment is chaotic, it is hard to rest and feel safe Mm. and, uh, and that you can relax there. Again, there's so much information coming at us all the time about being busy and productive, uh, as if we are only here to task. It's such, it's such an industrialized model that, we are imperfect, inefficient machines that need to get better. That's not, that's not all we're here to do. It's hard to make sense out of the fact that this incarnation or this iteration is finite and, and how to spend it wisely. So I understand that, that there's this and particularly, again, in Western culture, in a capitalistic society, that idea of commerce and that we have X amount of time and spending it, the, we can thank our Puritan ancestors on on this continent for carrying that message about, you know, thrift and time well spent. Yeah. But there is something to be said for winter and enjoying the fruits of your harvest and that there's not a lot to do. You can mm-hmm. mend some clothes and eat some root vegetables and wait for the snow to melt before you're going to do something arduous again. I mean, yeah. there, you, it's the days are short and maybe you need to rest and not kill yourself to be constantly at peak performance. And the irony, of course, is that there's a different way to be at peak performance, which is to be living your values, whatever those are. If I want to sit down and read a book, that's important to me in that moment. It doesn't 
It doesn't need to be vying for building my business as if one is of greater significance than the other. There is yeah. a time for each of them. You can just read art. I mean, you can read a good novel exactly. or whatever, just because you want to enjoy it, not even because it's going to make you a better anything. And I know for me, like having a an orderly environment allows me to rest. I find it very, very difficult to rest in a disorganized environment. And uh, and that helps. So your book is over 300 pages long. It's encyclopedic, I think, in its scope. And it's extremely <laughs> helpful. Like, I'm going to work through it, but it's going to take me a while. It's going to take right. me a while. And I think, I think that's great because I do want to simplify my life and get rid of a few of the things. And just, you know, there's a sense of harmony. I mean, the Japanese, the, the Asian culture has talked about that for a long time, a sense of peace and and harmony with your environment. We've kind of ignored that. But if you were going to get, so let's speak to somebody who goes, oh my goodness, okay, I'm completely owned. I'm bought in. I don't know where my keys are. Uh, I don't have really a filing system. The filing system is it just goes in the junk drawer and I have 48 junk drawers um, mm-hmm. or, or everything seems to be out of sorts or I'm just dealing with overwhelm. Where's a good place to start? And then just kind of walk us through the, the overview of how you would begin to get organized in a practical way. Sure. Well, let's begin with the organizational triangle, right? Okay. So one home for everything, like with like, something in, something out. Those are the three. That's, those, that's all you need to know. One home mm-hmm. for everything, like with like, something in, something out. One home for everything means everything has one home and only one home. Not open ah. to debate. So you pick a home for your keys. That's the home for your keys. So Doesn't the keys matter is where it, it your is. dresser or your kitchen counter or this bowl or your pocket. It's like this is there every single time, 100% of the time, this is where they go. Right. Gotcha. If you apply that rule, anything can only be one of two places, in your hand being used or in its home. Makes, gotcha. it, makes it very easy to find. If we put all like objects together, not most of them, but all of them, then we've cured 85% of your disorganization by assigning everything a home and putting all like objects together. Once you've done that, what you discover are all the only children, all the things that don't have a home that need a home. And if it turns out that they aren't like anything else in your home and you don't have a place for them, then they need a different home. We need to, we need to send them up for adoption and they need to go someplace else. Um, and the last leg of the triangle, something in, something out, is how you stay organized. So the first mm-hmm. two legs are about getting organized. Assign everything a home, put all like objects together, makes it really simple. Yep. Can, I, can I just call a, an audible right now and just say, okay, before we even get to something in, something out, all like with like. What does that mean specifically? Let's do the kitchen, all right? Because sure. we, we live out so of our kitchens. Your- so all your cooking utensils live together. They don't belong with the serving utensils because they don't do the same function. All of your food storage container, your Tupperware lives together. All of your silverware lives together. All of your sharp things that cut things live together. All of your um, uh, all of your canned goods live together. All of your baking supplies live together. All of your um, food storage stuff that is like wraps and foils and bags right. live together. So you don't have some of it here, some of it there, some of it in the basement at all. Well, let's be clear. I mean, if you're going to Costco and you're buying four yeah, yeah. rolls of toilet paper, you can have you can have the home for the backup toilet paper, but in the bathroom, wherever the toilet paper lives, that's where the immediate 
bunch of toilet paper lives in your house. Right. It isn't there in the linen cabinet, under the kitchen sink, and in the basement, and in the garage. Right. That's too many. That's too many places for backup. So if you decide that in every bathroom, four rolls of toilet paper is enough toilet paper for everybody to wipe their butt and nobody to come up with a surprise <laughs> when they sit down, yeah. then... We're going to decide, okay, so four rolls goes in every bathroom, and that's the that's what that's what stuff equilibrium looks like in the bathroom. And now all the extra rolls are going to go one extra place. And that's the home for when if if that is empty, then we know we need to go buy more toilet paper because right. there's none in the backup. So it's not like, well, it could be here or it could be there, or it could be you you're like you look at two places. The drawer is empty. We have a drawer in our bathrooms, and okay, if they're empty, and then the basement cellar is where we keep it. That's empty, then we're totally out. And you know from your backup system when you pull the last roll out of the basement. Exactly. And so what you discover about the some here, some there, particularly we'll stay in the kitchen because that's where you can yeah, yeah, us, yeah, which yeah, is fine. Sure. Let's do that. So if all of your dishes won't fit in the cupboard where you want to have your dishes, then you either have too many dishes or it's the wrong cupboard. Ah. Because you, you can't have things in three locations and then be able to actually use them. You will use the ones that are the most convenient, and then why do you have the extra two piles of them? You're never going to get to them. You're going to the cupboard that you want to go to. That's fine. If that's the cupboard that makes sense, then that's probably the cupboard where it should live. But if it's not big enough to hold four sets of china, you probably have maybe two or three sets of china more than you need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, okay, well, that's good. So let's take it to the office, uh, like with like. So because, sure. I mean, this is a leadership podcast. All of your live together. Okay. All of your pens and pencils live together. All of your paper clips live together. You don't have... Uh, again, if you have a set of post-its on your desk and my assistant has a set of post-its on her desk, the only other place there's post-its are in the office supplied box, which is where mm -hmm. all the extra post-its live until my dispenser's out or her dispenser's out. Otherwise, they're where they belong. Great. What about a filing system if you want to get into that? I mean, we're moving more and more into a paperless thing. I, I don't really even have a printer well, but whether in my it's, office. Whether it's paper files or... Ah, um, yeah. Or Dropbox doesn't files, solve doesn't this, really right? <laughs> well, no. I mean, the thing is that you still have to have a filing system. Digital files or paper files, you organize them the exactly the same way, so it doesn't really matter. Okay, um, walk us in through the that. Book, in the book, I give you a starter set of labels for files. I think you need to one home for everything, and like with like in a in a in a document world means that you decide whether it's called car or auto. You don't call it both. Mm. Um, so you don't have some of your files under C for car and some of them under A for auto. Right. You unify that and you just decide we're going to call it auto. Everything's going to be under A for auto. Uh, everything's going to be under C for car. I don't care what you do. It does, you know, it doesn't, right. I don't have a, I don't have a, I don't have a preference for auto versus car. Just pick one and stick with it. Um, but once you once you create a filing system, it's very simple. I mean, it, it, a filing system is basically the alphabet, and you mm. can start at A or you can start at Z and work your way backwards. It doesn't really matter. You just don't start yeah. in the middle. So okay. once you've done that, um, everything has a folder that you're going to keep. This is the thing about filing systems that I will share with your listeners. Uh, files are where documents go to die. Mm. So. 
I would not encourage anybody who is working on a document to file it and have to go in and out of a filing cabinet to get it four or five times a day. You can easily keep that in a basket of current work on your desk. And when you are finished with it, if it is, if it merits filing, then you would put it in a filing cabinet. If it doesn't merit it, you can shred it or recycle it. Uh, you know, not every document needs to be kept. So mm -hmm. in the book, I'm very clear. The appendix of the book actually is a, again, a kit that will show you exactly what documents to keep from a month to the rest of your life. And, um, there wow. Many things don't need to end up in a filing in a filing cabinet. Yeah, because you go through ten-year-old files and you're like, really, seriously, I kept this, right? Digital yeah. or otherwise. Exactly. And so, in in the digital world, it's just easier to create clutter because it takes up virtual virtual <laughs> space and virtually no space. And you can create a folder and call it current and just drag everything into it. Current means nothing. Uh, you know, you could call it today's work. That means nothing because it's only today's work today. <laughs> uh, you'd, you'd be better off labeling it uh, Monday, February the 6th, 2017. That at least means something. Yeah. But to call it today or current and drag a bunch of garbage into it and park it someplace like you've done something is just fooling yourself. That's another set of deferred decisions. Right. Are you an inbox zero person? No, I think that's ridiculous. Okay, so what do you do? How do you, how do you organize your inbox? I I get more emails than I can possibly answer. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not. I can't answer them all. I'm I'm not. I don't feel obligated to answer them all. They don't all merit answering, and they don't all merit reading. I do. I am a vigorous employer of rules uh -huh. or filters. So, so Gmail I, rules, Gmail filters. Yeah. Exactly. I pre-sort a lot of email before it lands in my inbox. Uh, I do believe in not using your inbox as a tickler file, yeah. but I also think it's it's preposterous to think that you're going to empty out your inbox every day. Then that becomes your work. Your work becomes answering emails, and my work is not is not email based. Mm. Okay, well that that that's really good. Okay, and then so like I'm starting to get the you know I think we got a pretty clear picture of where this is going. What about uh, is it one in one out? Tell us about that. Something in, something, something, in, something out. out. So once you achieve stuff equilibrium, once you have mm. enough of everything that serves you, and I don't really care what that number is. So if, yeah. you, if you need to have, for whatever reason, 75 pairs of shoes, I'm not going to show up at your house and say, that's too many shoes, Carrie. You're not right. allowed to have 75 pairs of shoes. If there's enough room in your closet for you to have 75 pairs of shoes and your wife to have however many pairs of shoes she wants to have in the closet and everybody's happy in the closet, carry on, have 75 pairs of shoes. But what it means is if 75 is the magic number, when you buy the 76th, it's because you're ready to retire one of the first 75. Gotcha. We're no longer augmenting. We're no longer stockpiling things. Now, understand, with consumables like toilet paper or groceries, <laughs> you might not only buy one can of tomatoes if you're making tomato sauce. Right. You might buy three and use two and then have one for the next time you want to make but you're not going to so, stockpile 20 and let let the you know 19th can go bad on you is is the idea right and you're not going to also keep buying it every time you walk into the store saying oh yeah. tomatoes are on sale i should just buy three more cans when in fact you're not, you haven't used the last six or eight that you've already purchased it's not a bargain if you don't need it 
<laughs> that's a good word. That's a good word, Andrew. Okay, so let's let's go back to the shoe example because that's good. Yep. And and let's bring it down to like I don't know ten pairs. Most people can relate to ten pairs of shoes. Okay. Um, the challenge is I bought a pair of shoes because I really like them and the styles changed a little bit or it was a really good value. So now it's pair eleven. But I look at my 10, and this is where a lot of us get caught up. I mean, you reach a stage of life where nothing's really worn out. like, And you've got a sunk cost bias because what are you going to do with used shoes? I mean, I guess you could donate them to a charity or that kind of thing, but they're not really broken. You most definitely can. Yeah, you know, they're not broken. They don't have holes in the bottom of them. There's still some life in them. Um, But now I have to get rid of it. Is that how, is it that sunk cost bias that, um, you know, keeps people accumulating is that just well a- what were you buying the 11th pair for if you weren't replacing a pair i mean if you were Sorry. replacing those sort of clunky square-toed shoes that you bought in 1987 i support <laughs> you in replacing them there's a homeless person who has no shoes who will be very happy to have those ugly shoes because they will keep their feet warm, warm. and dry and yeah. while i'd like them to have a stylish pair of floor shine shoes I'm really happy in the moment that they just have some protection on their feet. We'll work on getting them a stylish pair of shoes next. But the first thing is just getting them warm and dry. Right. So let them have your old shoes. You don't have them anymore because really you had no business shopping for shoes if you determined that 10 sh- pairs of shoes were enough. If they weren't worn out, why were you buying new shoes? And this goes back to the value thing. This goes right. back I mean, to the when philosophical you, when you tell assumptions. Me that there isn't enough time for the things that matter to you. Why were you spending your time in a shopping mall consuming things? Right. You tell me that there isn't enough time to go see your kids play soccer and to bake ch- ch- cookies for the church bazaar and to go visit your great aunt in the nursing home and to run errands for your sick neighbor, but you seem to have time to, quote, kill it at a mall. Yeah. You don't have enough time to be murdering time in a mall. There isn't enough already. And I think, I think you know, you raise a really good question because I'm not sure too many people, including myself, are like, how many pairs of shoes are enough? Really? like, and, and that forces you to answer that question. And the answer was, well, I was at a mall and I saw a good deal and I really like these shoes. And so I bought them and now they don't fit in my shoe rack anymore. They don't fit in the front closet or wherever you keep your shoes. So I think that's really good. It's like, how much is too much? And probably the line is lower than most of us would draw it. Sure. But again, I don't think, I mean, that might be your Dutch heritage as well. I don't think we need to become draconian in applying <laughs> stringent, stringent ascetic rules to people. I mean, if, if 20 pairs of shoes will fit in your closet, you can have 20 pairs. Right. It doesn't need to be 10, but if 20 is the magic number, stick with 20. You yeah. decided it. It was a number that you felt you could live within. So it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be onerous for you to have to belly up to the 20 mark and let a pair go because hmm. you saw a pair that you fell in love with. Great then let a pair go or don't go shopping and you won't be tempted. You know, if you don't want to, if you don't want a haircut, don't go into the barbershop. (laughs) That's a good point. You know, my Dutch heritage, all the shoes were wooden. So I'm very, very grateful for leather and canvas. That's much better. (laughs) Um, So Andrew, um, where's the easiest place to get started in organization? Like if somebody is just completely overwhelmed, they haven't got the book in their hand right now. And they're like, now I'm going to go back to my house or my office and I'm just going to feel worse about it. What, what, what's a like? What's you know, little short wins? Where's a little short win that we go? Okay, we went to bed tonight, and we're better than we were when we woke up in the morning. 
it comes back to it comes back to keys, wallet, purse, phone, mm. the things that you use every day. So give those four things a home and you are ahead of the game. If you can not leave the house late one more time because you can't find your car keys, you will be ahead of the game. If you are not delayed walking out of the door because you know where your mobile phone is, you have won for the day. So that's pretty simple. What is the hardest area? Like, is there a pattern where it's like, okay, we got the keys, phone, wallet, like across, you know, the kitchen is all organized, all the cutting things are with the things that cut, all the cans are with the cans, all the plates are with the plates and the serving uh, dishes are with the serving dishes, etc. So we got that one nailed. What do you find is the most resistant area to organization in people's lives? Or does it vary according to different people? Well, it does vary. And I would say that the place that story is the most powerful is sentimental objects. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's, here's my situation. I wrote a question on that. I've got a couple of cases just in a storage area off my office here in the basement of my house. And mm-hmm. I've got like stuff that we started accumulating. And it's just two totes, two Rubbermaid totes. But it's got everything from a few report cards to art the kids did when they were younger to actually stuff I did when I was 10 years old. And I just couldn't bring my, I'm not a hoarder. I'm not, I mean, you can see on video, I'm not a hoarder. This is all story, but keep going. Yeah, I'm not a hoarder, (laughs) but like, I don't want to get rid of that stuff. What, Uh what what, why am I hanging on to it? Should I get rid of that stuff? What do you do with mementos? Yeah, nobody's making you get rid of it. So Uh um, you can just ask yourself, what's the end game? Okay. That's the place to begin. So are you keeping it for you or are you keeping it for them? If you're keeping it for them, then you are a steward and your job is to keep it safe and protected right. and well organized so that you can give it to them when they are old enough to care or not care. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're keeping it for yourself but lying to yourself, telling yourself one of those 200 lies a day that we each tell ourselves and share around the share around the the watering cool cooler. Mm-hmm. Then uh, there's a stunning statistic about the 200 lies a day. There's a great that real? talk that about that. Legit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm, lies I'm a day. have to watch that. Wow, so, I believe um, that. So if it, if you're telling one of those 200 lies and that you're keeping it for them, but really you're keeping it for you, just tell the truth to yourself that no, I'm, this is not for the children. The children don't give a crap about this stuff. I'm keeping it for me, and uh, I want it. So then it just returns to the question of what's your end game. Do you want to set up a little display area where you can look at your kid's childhood and you can remember when they were pliant and compliant small people? And uh, <laughs> what, you know, did you, tragically, did you tragically lose a child and this is a way for you to keep the memory of the child alive? Um, what What's the purpose in holding on to it? I'm not challenging you from keeping it. I think if you want to keep it, by all means, keep it. Just tell the truth to yourself about why you're keeping it and then what you're going to do with it. Because if it's for you, then if you're just going to throw it in a box and throw it in the basement, it really doesn't mean much. It's, It's really the story that means more to you than the objects themselves. And you can be sure that if it isn't for them, when you die, it's all going to end up in the garbage because the kids are not necessarily 
particularly at this point, anybody who's got small children now, these children are digital natives. They are growing up in a completely different world. And even though they might be making art with crayons and paper and wheat paste, it, their desire to hold on to those kinds of artifacts from their childhood is completely different than those of us who grew up in a mixed world of some technology and uh, some uh, pre-technology uh, tools. And certainly from people who grew up in a world where there was, you know, technology was a typewriter and a, and a yeah. rotary telephone. So just to be just to be clear about what you're going to do with it and then do it. Hmm. No, that's really good. And, and it sounds like, again, back to the values and the big picture, that's relenting self-honesty. And those are good questions. You know, for me, it's just a couple of Rubbermaid totes, but I'm going to ask myself, that question, and my wife and I'll talk about it. We'll t probably talk about it with the kids now that they're in their 20s and then kind of right. make a decision. Because otherwise, you're right. The logical extension is at some point I'm going to die. Somebody's going to go through my stuff. They're going to find those two totes and go, well, look at all this stuff. What are we going to do with it? Ah, right. Get the dumpster, right? Probably. That's probably where that's going. Maybe they'll take some time and cherry pick out a few things and say, oh, this reminds me of dad. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they won't. And maybe they'll just say, what did he save this garbage for? This is just useless. <laughs> There's a lot of people with their aging parents who can who can relate to that. You know, my mom yeah. is a total perjure. And there's like stuff disappears all the time, which is which is probably really nice when, you know, you have to clean up after after somebody's no longer with you. On the other hand, you know, you don't you want to make sure you preserve the parts of the family heritage that are meaningful to the family as well. Right. So I think that that, again, leads itself towards a transparent conversation in which you discuss end of life stuff and you say, I'm not going to be here forever. If this has meaning to you, let me know and I will either keep it safe for you or you may take it with you to your adult home now. Mm -hmm. I don't need it. It, it's for you, so you may have it now and enjoy it, and I'll enjoy it when I come to visit you, or I'm going to keep it until then. But certainly when you leave, when each of us leaves, there's enough for them to navigate around grief and the logistics of an estate, just legally and technically, mm -hmm. let alone also then trying to navigate the minefields, the potential minefields of narrative and story and uh, trying to understand the the obscure choices that somebody made with the objects that are still surrounding them. Yeah, well said. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's really well said. Uh, I worked briefly in a state's law just for a summer, and it was just crazy sometimes what you see, you know, 17 dumpsters later, you're through right. all the stuff. Um, yep. Listen, just for people who may feel a little bit overwhelmed right now, sure. um, is it is it easy once you're organized <laughs> to stay organized? It's so easy. Yeah. It's, once everything has a home and all like objects are together, maintaining organization... This is all about Newton's first love of motion, right? A body in yeah. rest tends to stay at rest. A body in motion tends to stay in motion. Once you have achieved a sense of organization, it is so simple to stay organized. You just don't defer decisions. You put things back where they came from and you don't accumulate things you don't need. It's what you what you find is that you have so much more time to spend doing the things that actually matter right. that you are now busy doing the things that matter and you're not having to spend your time 
tidying up all the time. Well, and, and you know, as, as you said earlier, even when it comes to rest, maybe enjoying the fruit of your labor, maybe actually just sitting down and reading a book and not feeling guilty about anything or having friends over and not feeling like you have to do the half hour hustle where everything gets thrown into some closet before they get there. Exactly. And I think that's right. You know, I've always said, because I'm, I am that clean freak, neat freak. It's easy to keep a clean car clean. It's really easy. I mean, needs a quick 10 minute touch up and that, then it looks showroom again. Whereas if you've got one that's covered in mud and you know, there's gum under the seats and everything, well, that's going to take you four five, six hours to go through. And I should right. say Andrew's book, um, is it, you're so detailed. Like there is quite a bit of work up front and you're like, I think, I don't know if there's a kitchen chapter or what, where you're like, Listen, there is, yeah. yeah, you're, you're going to be in this for hours making all these decisions. If you get tired, like have an apple or have a snack or get some protein into you, um, and just stick at it two more hours and you'll be through this. But I think the, 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 the carrot on the other side is, uh, once you're through it, it makes your life a lot easier. It's just a little bit of short-term pain for a lot, a lot of gain. Well, this is yep. good. Andrew, uh, I think I think we've covered a lot of stuff here. I, I mean, I was going to say, okay, you got 90 seconds to convince leaders to be organized, <laughs> but you fully convinced me, but I guess I had already drunk the Kool-Aid before we <laughs> talked, which is why we're talking. Anything else you want to say, Andrew, before we wrap up today? I would just say that imagine you were dying, and in fact, you are, right? We are all, yeah. the clock is ticking loudly, quietly. So if I could give you a day of your life one one more day of your life to do something meaningful, would you take it? If I could give you a week or a month, would you take it? The truth is that getting and staying organized will actually give you an entire year of your life back. So mm. imagine what you could do with an extra year of your life not spent looking for lost or misplaced things. Seriously, that's how much time people spend like just trying to find stuff is a year of their life? The average person will waste wow. a year of their life looking for lost and misplaced items. Let me ask you one more very specific question. Somebody starting in there at a place of, I would call, reasonable disorganization or average disorganization. This is not an episode of Hoarders. This is not like get the, get the dump truck and away you go. It's just like, you know what? I do lose my phone and I do lose my keys and my filing system isn't that great. And I have three places where I keep knives in my kitchen What's the average length of time it would take somebody, a reasonable time frame, to go from where they are today to the other side of unstuffed and organized? Yeah, that's such an impossible question sure. to quantify. What I'm gonna what I'm gonna share with you is instead of, and it's actually, I mean, it's and there's no spin on this when I say this to you, but it's actually it's a faulty construct. So sure. instead of thinking about finished, because we don't really know what finished means. The the way that I teach people to manage their time is work in quantifiable increments of time, ideally not less than 15 minutes at a time, not more than three hours at a time without taking a break. Use a timer, get a timer. And so failure breeds failure, success breeds success. Mm -hmm. If the last time you tried to get organized, you did not succeed because you had an idea in your head of what finished looked like and you didn't get there, the next time you try to get organized, you're already feeling defeated. Whereas if the last time you tried something and you said, I'm gonna do this for 45 minutes and the timer goes off, 
When the timer goes off, you've actually done what you said you were going to do. Your word and your deed are in sync, and you are buoyed with that sense of momentum and accomplishment so that the next time you set the timer, you're already feeling a sense of pride and success. And Mm. that will build on itself. So what I would say to anybody who wants to start getting organized, set the timer for some time between 15 minutes and three hours. Take an area that uh, is causing you, you have two choices, either an area that's causing you deep grief, where you will feel the greatest relief the quickest by addressing it, or if you're feeling kind of vulnerable and weak, go for low-hanging fruit. And that might be just picking up all the extra mail laying around the house and ripping it in half and throwing it in the recycle bin. That might be enough of you to feel like you've made an adjustment in your environment and that's all you had in you today. So it doesn't matter, you know, the the biggest issue or the, the smallest issue, pick one or the other based on your constitution on the day that you're working, set the timer between 15 minutes and three hours. And when it's done, you're done. That That's the task. The task is the time quantity. It th- We're not judging what finished looks like any longer. Mm-hmm. We're looking for progress. No, and I, I think that's really good advice. And that, that's very fair, Andrew. The part, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the, on the podcast was uh, the other thing I've experienced as somebody who does prefer order over chaos is often, particularly when the kids were young, it just felt like, okay, you're temporarily writing a situation. And now it's a little bit easier that they're older. Things tend to stay in place, et cetera, et cetera. But I like the idea of having a system. So when I finally tackle my garage this summer, you know, having a system probably means this becomes sustainable for the next two or three decades. Like once of it's course. done, it stays done as opposed to, yeah, I don't know where my keys are. I don't know where my phone is. Where does the charcoal go? Right now it's going over here. You know, it needs to go over there and it has a system and you're set up and then you're kind of done. That I love right. that. I love that. Well, Andrew, then let's be yeah. clear also that a three-year-old can learn and comprehend the organizational triangle. Mm. So there's no reason why if you have small children at home or you're running a nursery school, you can't be teaching kids the organizational triangle and they can't be putting their toys or their art supplies or whatever, whatever their clothes away where they came from. This is the thing that I will tell you. If you have small children or you're working with small children, every cover, lid, or obstacle you place between them and the home is another decision that they have to make, which will probably turn them off from the process. Hmm. So the one the one concession you have to make is if we have a bin for the plush toys, we're not putting a lid on the bin. If they can get it into the bin, they will put it in the bin. Don't make them remove the lid before they have to put it in the bin. Just give them the bin, show show them what goes in the bin, and they will put the object back in the bin. You'll Mm -hmm. you'll have to give up your need for a tidy lid-filled home until they're old enough to be able to manipulate lids. But lid is just an obstacle for their hitting the mark. So make it easy for them, and you will be happier. No, and you know what, kids, it's a really good point. I mean, our kids learn to clean up after themselves as well, and it, it's a teachable behavior. It's a, it's a learnable behavior. Andrew, this has been great, and people are going to want to know more. Obviously, everything's in the show notes, but if people want to go direct to you, where can they find you online? AndrewMellon.com, and Mellon is spelled M-E-L-L-E-N. 
That's great. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. The book uh, is called Unstuff Your Life, Kick the Clutter Habit and Completely Organize Your Life for Good. Love the for good part. Andrew, you've been very (laughs) generous with your time. I want to thank you so much for building into leaders today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Man, you're going to want more, I'm sure. And uh, I just want to thank Andrew for being so open to being on the podcast. So you can find more at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 139. And uh, you'll find all the links that we links to the resources that we talked about, as well as our good friends at trainedup.church. And of course, you can find links to the High Impact Leader because that releases next week. So don't miss it. I can tell you with great certainty, this will be the last time that we release it this year until New Year's. So like, this is it. This is it. So go to thehighimpactleader.com, jump on the waiting list. And in the meantime, I'll send you a free new productivity course that can get you started as you get ready for the release of the High Impact Leader. So, hey, we're back next week. I am so excited to have Tony Morgan on the podcast. He is going to do something kind of fun. We're going to look at the life cycles of a church. He's actually taken some of the insights of leaders like Les McEwen and applied them directly to church in his new book, The Unstuck Church. And here's an excerpt from that conversation. Yeah, Carrie, and that's the the biggest challenge is it's the the difference between the church that's in strategic growth and the church that's in maintenance, the maintenance season that you just referred mm-hmm. to, which is that first step down the decline in the life cycle. There are a lot of similarities because both sides there's a focus on strategy. There's a focus on systems. There's established mission and vision. Both sides, they have clear values that they're trying to embrace as a church. So there are a lot of similarities, but the distinction, I think, the key distinction is this. On the left side, on strategic health, the the vision is still a higher priority. The mission and the vision are still mm-hmm. a higher priority than the systems. When we That's start right. to get to the right side, the, the priority, I hate to say it, becomes more about how we do the ministry rather than why we do ministry. So that happens next week. Again, subscribers, you get it free. And remember, there's bonus episodes coming down the pipe, too. So uh, I'm going to I'm gonna do something I've never done on the podcast before for bonus episodes. So uh, guess what? You're going to find out if you subscribe. You can do that for free wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, wherever And uh, just subscribe today. You'll get everything. There'll be four podcasts in the next two weeks, including two, the likes of which I've never done before. So here you go. Keep you in suspense. And uh, well, we will catch you next Tuesday, but there'll be something coming down the pipe before then too. So thanks so much for listening. I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.